0: All right, ready. Moment of silence meditation.
1: And then I am going to start the podcast.
0: Three, two, one, silence. I hate.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the next sharing? podcast. Shut up, Jake. Uh, <laughs> what Evil is doing. Uh, the last three podcasts we did, actually, the last two podcasts we did were the Fine Feathered and Foud podcasts. And while doing those, we actually came to an interesting conclusion in that we had ideas spring from those podcasts. Uh, and actually, Mazio was the one who brought this up. Uh, and we've decided to take a pause on the Fine Feathered and Fouled ones to further discuss some ideas and questions we had about the gaming industry before returning to the next set of the Fine Feathered and Fouled. Did I miss anything, Mazio? No,
2: no, but I, I do have an opening question. Yes. Not related to the actual podcast.
1: Oh, boy.
2: When I'm not talking, if I eat a a piece of Pop Tart, that will upset Kevin, right?
1: Well, now that you've told him, I think maybe?
2: Well, you (laughs) know, I wasn't going to lie to him.
1: Yeah, but, like, he would have never known. So, like, would it have been lying if you just never mentioned it? What?
2: Like, if I, like, all right, right, I'm going to eat a piece of Pop Tart and you tell me how loud it is, okay?
1: I think he just muted himself and ate the Pop Tart.
2: I did not mute myself.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, I didn't hear anything.
0: So to be clear, we have not, we're not supposed to be eating Pop-Tarts this entire time.
2: (laughs) How many Pop-Tarts were you eating? I feel like the Flaming Cheetos problem isn't Flaming Cheetos. I feel like the Flaming Cheetos problem is moderation.
1: (laughs) So, clarification before we go more insane into this (laughs) podcast. The first three podcasts we recorded all at once during week three of quarantine, it is now week 15,
2: Oh my gosh, of, is of it?
1: quarantine? <laughs> yeah, and the only reason oh. I know that is because one of my coworkers keeps updating his Discord status every week to work from home, week whatever. And like this past week was week 15. So actually, we're going into week 16 of quarantine. Um, So all of our sanities have dropped drastically during this time. And I feel the need to state that to explain the shit show this opening. (laughs) But to move on before we start discussing the health issues of Flaming Hot Cheetos and Pop-Tarts together, uh, we are here to discuss uh, the importance of defining your audience because we touched upon it during the last Fine Feathered and Foud one we did, which was Deliver Us the Moon. And we came to an important conclusion during that podcast That the game was negatively reviewed due to advertising itself, I think, as a sci-fi horror game? Thriller. When The thriller, thank you. When what it delivered to the audience was not that. It was a narrative sim. Or art, in the way that Matt Zio described it. It was like an attempt at fine art, whatever it was. I forget the exact wording that you used.
0: I like think Art House the Walking is. Sim was kind of yeah. what we st- settled on.
1: Um, and that got us thinking about how many games have been hurt, I guess, or negatively reviewed based on uh, faulty advertising or the fault of their marketing team or the hype trailers that they released, um, which or- w- always are released like at the beginning of production when so many things can change, right?
2: Or just not knowing who your game is really going to resonate with.
1: Yeah.
2: Right? Or having an audience and then doing a game that won't resonate with that audience and then releasing it under that studio. As if going to LegalZoom and filing another LLC is so complicated.
0: Right. Or the carrier side of it, potentially developing an entire game without thinking about who it's Oh, gosh. It.
1: So I have a few games in mind that I think we could talk about. Uh, that kind of fall into this or that I think fall into this trap of marketing one game and delivering another Um, and if you guys have any other games in mind uh, feel free to speak up but I think the game that we mentioned in the last episode that we definitely do want to do a fine feathered and fouled version of uh, but also kind of fits into here is Fallout 76
2: absolutely I have two more as well I also brought some more with me in my back pocket Um,
1: my big ones today are Fallout 76 and No Man's Sky. Okay,
2: one <laughs> one. I, I, as per usual, brought the tabletop end of this.
1: Oh, good. We always like, you know, variety here.
2: Yeah, I uh, I know that's a crusade. If you don't want me to talk about tabletop games, just tell me you're going to discriminate against me now, and it's okay.
1: No, go ahead. Is this the one Ouch. tabletop game that you brought up? Not a I, I don't I'm
2: su- I'm relatively sure both of you have heard of these games. Okay. But have not... I, I I don't think anybody I know has played them. How about that?
1: Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, then I think what we start with is Fallout 76. Because I think that was the one that we all jumped on. Yes. Or thought of doing immediately. And I just want to clarify. There was a lot of issues on launch for Fallout 76. That are related to bugs. And the game breaking. And those things we are not touching. Uh, because those don't. Relate to. Defining to your audience. Uh, the one. The issues that I'm talking about. Are when looking at. The launch trailer they gave you. They gave you a launch trailer. For another Fallout game. Like 4. What they delivered to you was a half-baked MMO that wants a disc to also be not an MMO.
2: Wasn't the disc cardboard?
1: (laughs) Yes. So the disc they gave you wasn't an actual disc. It was a download code. Which you have to stop and think to yourself, why would you spend the money to manufacture cardboard discs and plastic cases for them? If you're just distributing a
2: download code. Well, and, like, the big expense in that isn't that. The big expense in that is you, like, hired all the necessary people to make cover art. Yeah. Like, oh, I manufactured a crappy disc with a code on it. All right, that was probably, like, what, like, one billionth of a penny per disc? All right, and the case is probably, like, what, five cents a case, ten cents a case at those quantities? Because it's the same case of every other PS4 game. Right. But, like... Okay, but, like, you hired a... Sec- a lot of people had to work hard to make... To make a that... the box art. To make the box art that, that, that was basically a grim reminder of, like, the impending reality of video games. <laughs> like, like, like can you imagine being in that room? Like, yep, I'm drawing box art for a game that neither needs a box nor has a game inside of it. This is the definition of, like, existentialistic hell as an artist.
1: Yes. So, like I said, there's many things wrong with this. Um, I think the way the trailer was portrayed was trying to hype it up as more of a Fallout game with story, with adventure to go out and do instead of what they gave you, which was an attempt at an MMO, which was a failed attempt in many ways, but... They pulled in the entire audience that loved Fallout 4 and gave them a game that isn't a single-player story adventure game or Fallout 4 with multiplayer online, right?
2: Yeah. They gave
1: you an MMO that you have to grind through to gear that you're going to do quests for. And they didn't even have the story until later. They didn't have NPCs until later
0: yeah i actually i played on launch actually they kind of scammed me into buying not one but two copies of the tricentennial edition <laughs> because of reasons um and yeah like all the story at the time from what i can remember was it just entirely handled through flavor text right. basically like dark Souls style like you would you know Hey, run, figure out where the Overseer's going. Pick up a thing. Oh, the Overseer went somewhere else? Cool, let's go to run to that place. Oh, they're not there. Let's go to the next place, to the next place, to the next place. And no NPC interaction, which was hastily justified by the fact that, oh, you're early. You're early out of the vault. There's no NPCs, even though that's straight up just not true. Kind of nonsensical in a way. Like you were saying, I think it just delivered on the wrong expectations. As opposed to, like, say what you will about the Diablo Immortal fiasco but they set the expectation that it was going to be a mobile game very well people knew exactly what it was they hated what yeah. it was going to be Fallout 76 kind of misrepresented what it was going to be and then delivered the yeah. wrong thing um, and I
1: think oh sorry go ahead Manzi no
2: I was gonna say I do want to weigh in on and maybe this is the wrong spot to put it but uh a guy I know real well, clo- well, I should say a close friend of mine, right? Like, <laughs> not like <laughs> this, this person I see occasionally. No, uh, this guy I know real well loves Fallout 76. Um, I didn't invite him in on any of this because his apartment uh, burned down. Like oh, no. A few, like, just a few weeks before we recorded this. Oh, no. Uh, so, like, it was, yeah, like, I didn't want to be like, so, listen, I know you lost all of your equipment, but, like, how do you feel about, like, like, doing the best you can and try to focus oh. on your Fallout 76 game, which you lost in your apartment fire, right? <laughs> <'Cause> you, <clears throat> yeah, that would have been a bad idea. Like, why don't you reminisce for me yeah. about the hundreds of hours you spent meticulously doing things with Fallout 76 that, that are now literally smoke and ash. Um, so, his, uh... He's the kind of the person that really loved the idea. Uh, he really fell into the building mechanic of it and building different, essentially, I think they're camps in this. So he built one to look like a train station and he would go out of his way to find like abandoned train tracks and put the train station on it. And then his goal was to make it as much like. Uh, an NPC building as possible. So he would do that and then he would put essentially, I don't know how he did this part, listening devices in it somehow so that like when people were in it, he could be like, he could hear them like talking over um, the, Xbox, the uh, PS4 headset, like, wait, is this someone's house or is this a building? And that was what he loved doing. Uh, and that said, like, he's an incredibly weird human being because, like, basically his take on this video game was and he was mad about the npcs coming in um was that like he loved collecting everything and then meticulously building a house and then quietly not interacting with someone while they observed what he had made
0: i think that brings up an interesting point they they didn't make a unsuccessful game overall they just made the wrong game because it appeals to a niche audience It's just that that audience, and honestly, the series has been moving this way since Fallout 4 came out. It's very different than the original Fallout 3 New Vegas style games, where there's more building prioritized, there's more cosmetic customization, and like all this stuff that, like, they sort of fractured their audience and then made a game for an entirely different group. Very strange.
2: I also think the number of people that, like, would have enjoyed. What he and enjo- what my friend enjoyed is very, very small.
1: Well, we also the mutual oh, yeah. friend that Mezio and I have, who has not played game with with us for a bit, treated Fallout seventy six like a survival, not horror game, but just a survival game.
2: Is this Wiggles?
1: This is Wiggles, and ignoring the expectations of a Fallout game and just. Going around, trying to find food, find equipment, building your settlement, moving your settlement, setting up camp, whatever, was really enjoyable for him. Uh, And he played it with one other person too, which probably adds to it. uh, Because he had someone there to, I guess, talk to. Instead of being all alone in the empty world of 76. So, I honestly, again, ignoring all of the bugs and the issues on launch, because there were a lot, because Bethesda... And a lot of them were critical and game-breaking. If we ignore that, which is hard to do, but we ignore it. (laughs) (laughs) And think about, had they marketed this as a survival game based in the Fallout universe, would it have gone better? Instead of giving it the title Fallout 76, change it around to, I don't know, Wasteland Survivals or whatever, so that the Wasteland part hints at a Fallout universe. But you take out the Fallout name.
2: You could actually, you could say Fallout Survival Colon Vault Seventy Six. Yeah,
1: and that alone.
2: And and, and that alone. And keep all all the inherited uh, goodwill and nostalgia and fan base associated with all the other components of that title, and then people would have been like, "Yeah, no, like you made a weird MMO survival horror game that a
0: handful of people super enjoy." Right. But the key difference there is that it's not Fallout, right? it's yeah. Fallout Survival, just changing the words before the colon. And I would argue that yes, it would have made a big difference because the Fallout Shelter app right. was so positive. and that has received.
1: nothing to do with, like, it has, yeah, has no gameplay nothing. related to any of the Fallout games, but because it wasn't Fallout followed by a number, just like Fallout 4 and 3 were,
0: yeah, and also because it's developed for the App Store, so right. that already sets an expectation that you know this isn't going to be a full going RPG. off of that, if,
1: I think if we took a look at The Elder Scrolls Online, which is an extremely popular MMO right now, a lot of the, not mistakes, but a lot of the, I guess, choices they decided to add in later in Fallout 76 would have been accepted by an MMO audience if they had built that MMO audience up. Going back, I guess, to the title thing, Elder Scrolls Online clearly tells you MMO. Yeah. Just from adding the online portion at the end of it.
0: I actually have an interesting story about ESO. I don't I want to cut in just because it, it has to be perfectly placed right here. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not going to make sense in a couple minutes. So when I was a young lad, a young lad playing Skyrim on my Xbox 360 up in my bedroom, and they announced ESO, Elder Scrolls Online, I did not understand what that meant because I was not an MMO player. All I saw was, wait, you're making the Elder Scrolls series bad? Why? Why are you making it bad? I don't understand. I was so distraught at the time because I the entire time I was playing Skyrim, we would I would stay in an Xbox party with my friends and we would always talk about, oh dude, if you could just like jump in as a guest to my world or I could jump in as a guest in yours, that'd be so much fun. Like just take over the companion. Do anything, any way that we could yeah, play people this together. I, in my mind, was like, that's the next thing they're going to do. they got to do that next as a, a young lad. And then they announced the ESO, and I was distraught because I did not understand what an MMO right. was at the time. I didn't, I didn't get what they were making. I was so upset that I actually wrote a letter to Bethesda. <laughs> do you have it? Can you read it to I us? wrote a letter. I, I wish I could find it. It's somewhere on their forums. I bet you I could dig it up like from my account. But I wrote a letter to Bethesda essentially saying, like, oh,
1: Jake how could you do fan this? Boy.
0: Why would you make the game bad? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> Literally, I was a crying, like, I don't even know what age fanboy. But it was because my expectations of what Elder Scrolls Online didn't was supposed to be was completely shipped because the online part right. didn't fire for me. I was like, oh, I didn't know that this means MMO. And I had played a couple of MMOs, but from my perspective, since I was playing them solo, my friends did not play MMOs. They were just bad games to me. My heart? Like, for the longest time, I just thought MMOs were like, I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the MMO audience. It's not the case. A wiser me knows this. But younger, naive, Jake. At the time, I was like, yeah, I was just like, why is the gameplay in this so terrible? Like, I don't understand why I can't have, like, good graphics or, like, you know, decent animations or anything. It's (laughs) You know, because there's a lot going on in the back end of the online world, but, and they're prioritizing that social interaction over the actual gameplay. But yeah, I couldn't figure that out. So basically, I saw it. I was like, oh, why are they doing it like this? They're making it one of the bad games. I don't understand. But yeah, my expectations were totally off from what Bethesda was trying to, um, you know, put out. And just out of that, I I got super, you know, pissed off at them. I played ESO, actually, and I did like it, and I played way too much of it. Um, that's a whole different story, though. I'm going to try to find that letter, but... Yeah, that's that's pretty much my little tangent. Of maybe there's also a situation where you can't control the expectations of people that are sort of speaking with a different lingo than the developers are.
1: Yeah. But I have another thing to go off of that, but we're coming up on, I guess, 20ish minutes now.
2: Yeah, just let it roll and see what happens.
1: So I also brought to the table No Man's Skies. Uh, and f- to look at both of these games for the podcast, I specifically looked at their E3 trailers, which were designed to build hype and show off the best parts of the game and ignore the worst parts of the game, right? But then I got to thinking, are these trailers actually helpful at all? Or are have trailers caused more harm than good to a lot of the games that have been released? Because when you put together a trailer for E3 or another big event, you are showing footage that has been recorded months prior, edited, whatever, from a state the game may no longer be in at launch. But you are attempting to set your audience, their expectation, and what they expect to be in the game by that trailer. And going off of what, jake just recently bought up is that the audience doesn't quite understand that the trailer you're showing them is only the good parts of the game and is all the big action moments the hype all the polished bits they're not going to show you what you're actually going to be doing in the game for 98 percent of the time right right they're going to cut to all of the big giant action scenes and most of the audience look at that and they say that's what i want my game to be Ninety-eight percent of the time, and it almost sets a false expectation as to how the game will play. Like when I looked at the No Man's Skies trailer, they showed off a world filled with creatures, with butterflies in it, and a lot of colors, and that you could immediately get off and go into space. And in the trailer, they showed other spaceships looking like yours joining you when you got into space, and then fighting in space. And they showed off a lot, but on launch of the game. There was no way to party with people, so that part of the trailer where you took off and then a bunch of people met you, can't happen. A lot of the worlds were empty, so that filled world with a bunch of creatures to walk around in in beautiful colors, that's not 98% of the game. That was only the first world you landed on. And then all of the space battles they showed, I don't think were actually added in or polished until significantly later. And what ended up happening is that this studio got bomb and death threats because people were looking at the E3 trailer and writing line by line what was in the E3 trailer and what they did not find in the game. The head I don't know if he's the head of the studio or the lead developer or what his official title is, but he got a death threat that specifically said... You showed butterflies in the game trailer that I could see when I walked past them in the camera. There are no butterflies in the game. And then proceeded to, like, threaten to kill him because there were no butterflies in the game, but there were butterflies in the trailer.
2: See, this is is what we're talking about by defining your audience. You should have made sure that person wasn't a part of it.
1: (laughs) That person, that crazy person. But I, I I think... Go ahead, Matt. No, you go ahead. I, I think that relates to what Jake said, where once they get something in their heads, they expect it to be just like that because they have no knowledge of wh- how the game actually works, how the trailer is constructed, uh, where, where it is in the development cycle, what changes, why it has to change.
2: I, I also think in that same vein that the the nature of the culture we live in at this point in terms of media extrapolates on those ideas. Right? It's not enough to say, oh... There's going to be butterflies and procedurally generated plants and creatures and everything else. It's got to be, well, everything on that checklist that you just described. And then the things that I imagined based on the checklist, Yeah. which is just insane on a certain level. And I think that that's where you end up with a lot of, like, I want to say dissonance, where the core value, the, the ambition of the project and... The audience is perceived knowledge don't e- cannot ever line up, and one of the things that I think they tried to combat this with for a long time, and it was never genuinely effective, at least not consistently, were leaks, where we would like leak a little bit, and then we would leak a little bit, and then we'd announce something, and we'd leak a little bit, and we're trying to stop this horrendous bleeding because we don't want you to not know, Elder Scrolls Six is coming out, right? Right. But. We already know that it is, and even though your announcement for it contained no genuine data right. of any kind, you a hundred percent know. People immediately started making judgments about what the kashits would look like, yep. and will there be nords? And will this happen? Or are you going to be able to do this? And how are bards and vampires going to work? And it's it, it's it's unfair to all parties concerned. But it's also something that's been trained by consuming large sums of media.
1: I think this also relates to when... I don't know if Jake was in the class when we talked about this. But one of the classes that I took with you, we talked about how when you select a genre for a game, there is a certain contract that you enter in with your audience. So if you sit here and you say, I plan to make an FPS... First-person shooter, if anybody who's listening does not know that.
2: I don't think anybody's made this far on the podcast without knowing what that acronym (laughs) stands for.
1: There are expectations that you have to fill immediately just because you stated it was an FPS. I have to be able to shoot, and the shooting has to feel good, and it has to be accurate. Right? Yeah. There's probably going to be some warnings of grenades if there's grenades. I'm going to want to customize my gun. I'm going to want to have probably two weapons, one and a side most likely. And I don't really care if I'm on a team or not, but it's leaning towards me being on a team and some form of death match. And you can include other varieties in there too, but the main thing is I'm able to shoot people, it feels good, and I have a variety of weapons to play with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's the same thing if I say I'm going to make a Fallout game. And in your head, because you have all the past ones, or like you just said, I'm going to make an Elder Scrolls 6, immediately people jump on it and they say, all right, the past Elder Scroll games have had this, 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 and this, which means this, 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 this all have to exist in that game. And if there's not, I'm going to be upset about it because it doesn't fit the previous formula you've taught me and the previous formula that I've built in my head and put together.
2: But also, I expect you to incrementally improve a large quantity of the things that already exist, or I will also be mad at you for not improving them.
1: Yes. You have to include everything from the past games, improve them, and add something new.
2: And, Otherwise, why and would I And those improvements it? have to be in line with my imaginary expectations that you have no knowledge or way to gain <laughs> knowledge of. Way to, yeah. Like, it is, it is that level of insane, though. And I, I think in the tabletop world, the people that have honestly managed that the best because i i promised i was bringing tabletop into this this is the thing that like magic the gathering has done almost immaculately not for its entire for its entire run but everything since modern where they're like yep here's your like here are the number of cards we leak all of the cards in advance there's a pattern to it you know it's coming the mechanics are announced in advance there's a definable pattern and steps to it the dates are always concrete you you very rarely do you have more than like a three or four month period where you're like, what's the set after the next set? Because they're like, why do you care? Just be hyped about the next set. No. And then you look at... Not only what- that,
1: but they have specific formulas for every color too that they have not yes. violated. Yes. Like your expectation is always, ah, this blue card is in the new set. It may It probably has something to do with the new mechanic they put out. But I know that it's not going to be deal x damage to this character i know it's not going to be target creature fights target creature you don't control like i know it's not going to be any of the other colors i know it's going to be some sort of indirect way to combat the situation i'm in
2: yeah and i mean that comes into their core philosophy dating back to the reserve list where they're like here are the cards we're just never going to reprint For better or for worse, we promise we won't reprint these cards. Mm-hmm. It it kind of holds together, but you also have to look at it from the perspective, at least in my mind, of um, Kaijudo and Transformers the Card Game. Kaijudo was put out by Wizards of the Coast. It was supported by Wizards of the Coast. It didn't go great. Like Wizards, like really tried to support it, and I know from talking from local game store owners that like for a while it was like, yep. We want to we run events. We want to run events. Here's some free product for Kaijudo. All right, well, if you buy Kaijudo, we'll give you free product. All right, well, if you buy Kaijudo, we'll give you free magic product. <laughs> and then the game just stopped existing. Right. And I think the problem there is that your re- their read on the audience was that there was an audience for whom a different art style would be preferable to what magic was doing. And then they kind of turned around and addressed that by making collectors booster packs with that same art style mm-hmm. in it. But they're like, this is, this is how we'll capture that market share, even though this huge other game existed and gained some traction and then failed, versus Transformers, which is put out by Hasbro, of all people, where they were like, we made a dumb card game for you to punch robots with your children. If that's not what you want, I, I can't help you. This, this game is about robots that punch other robots. Right. It is the card game equivalent of the musical Cats. <laughs> like... What is it about robots? What's cats, cats about cats? Is yeah. there a plot? I mean, sure, whatever. Uh, um, and I, I think that that is the that that's the the toss up of the coin where where the developers have to go. What do what do I want, right? Which when you're not on the scales of the people we're talking about with like the triple A scales, it's fine, right? Like you're. A small indie dev, you're a solo novelist looking for your your debut, you're writing something or designing something that you like, that you find interesting, and you hope other people will find it interesting too, and that works completely differently because your audience has no perceived knowledge. You're They're just going to evaluate what you present to them because they can't make this decision otherwise, versus these established brands and these established developers to the point where in game development, you know... In in board games and in video games, you attach a certain name as project lead or a designer or whatever, and all of a sudden the expectations shift completely. Like, I'm going to stick with the tabletop world because I feel like that's my role in this particular episode, but like, you know, you staple Richard Garfield's name on something, and all of a sudden it's like, wait, okay, so Richard Garfield made this. All right, well, now I'm going to look at it because the guy that made Magic the Gathering made it. And it doesn't matter to me what the game is. I want to see what this person made. I feel like you have that in video games. It's just that the stakes are raised so much at A level that you, these catastrophes collide really hard. If you're convincing somebody to buy, you know, a PS5 to experience this game, and you fail to meet the expectations that were partially set by you and partially set by somebody else's subconscious different problem
1: jake you've been quiet what are your thoughts
0: so i'm not much of a magic person so i don't have too Uh, much to add to that six more weeks
1: we recently dragged dragged jake into arena
0: i have an interesting point about arena and Mazur, you and i were kind of talking about this very briefly last night how so the game the gameplay itself from a design perspective, has not changed at all between Arena and playing on the table, correct? Like, you know, there's a different method for putting cards down and stuff, but the deck building and the actual the rules, rules yes. are exactly the same. Um,
1: I think yes. Mazio and I could argue there is a difference when you play with something, when someone else at the table, mind game-wise and strategy-wise, than when you play on an Arena. And Absolutely. this is something that Mazio and another friend of his talked about where if you have an instant card in your hand the other person in arena knows it because <laughs> the game pauses <laughs> to give you a chance to play it and so if there's if it's like a five second pause between me putting a creature down and it's effect chilling up there I know you have an instant card in your hand it
2: would, or a triggered ability It yeah. does
1: something or a triggered ability right whereas if I'm playing with someone at the table
2: that no, they, have to, they have to yell, wait, 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 wait. I wait. No, I have no idea. <laughs> I played, and then I no. Wait, hold on, hold Stop, on. Reverse. I have a response, window. Nope.
0: <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. That, that's kind of what I'm getting towards. Is that they're they're trying to sub in for a different social dynamic. So, but the gameplay rules, the loop is the for, same. The most part are exactly the same thing. Yeah, the loop is the same, but the player. The players that I've seen play Magic all play for very different reasons. So, like, if I'm at the board game store and I'm watching the people play Friday Night Magic, they're, yeah, oof. They're going in for a very different reason than Mazio. Like, you play Magic Mm -hmm. in a Stamp League. Like, you're having a social interaction with your friends where you're opening packs together and you're trading cards left and right and you're playing each other and you're recounting the stories of those games of, like, oh, yeah, my deck totally shut him down X, Y, Z way. I don't play a lot of magic so i can't really fill in that story but that experience is almost entirely lost through mtg arena and it's no fault of the developers of that game it's only on the players personal reasoning for playing magic like i remember you were saying last night that like oh mtg arena is getting a little old it's satisfying my urge for competitive games but it's not that's, doing the same that's thing that's not that exactly magic what does. i said what i said was
2: "Okay, well Uro.
0: that's what i said
2: i said Whack. Euro, and the like 53 percent of my meta but apparently (laughs) every game in platinum that is Euro. gotcha
0: whatever that means um but yeah i think it seems to me that from the developer perspective the people that made arena there is nothing they could do to make that situation better they might be able to add some more like friends lists and stuff like that like a more social dynamic to the game but it's entirely the perception of the people that play Magic for their Stamp League friends and for that card opening pack moment of here, let me trade this, let me do this, or, oh let's go get dinner and talk about that game where I absolutely smacked you. Like there's no way for them to fix that because that part of their game, and it's part of their game, is not something that they have any control over of yeah. and they don't develop for. I think at that all. our
2: group of people have uh have made up for that with a Discord server, right? Where, like, if if Magic wanted to make guilds so that, like, your hobby store or your group of friends could have, like, a little chat group going in Magic, it restores it. In fact, I actually like it better. I think it's way better to sit in a Discord server and talk with people I know that play Magic and discuss things than it is to actually have to play those five people every week over and over again, which is fun for, like, a month or two and then is just yeah. abjectly miserable. Sure. I think that's more of a personal thing. Well, no, it's it's because there's no way in real life that we're going to be able to make enough different decks and escalate evenly to keep it interesting. And the online nature of Arena balances all of that out.
0: Yeah, or even if you wanted to play with random people, like you signed up for Friday Night Magic, you're not going to get to talk to your friends and play those people. You have to take a break from talking to your friends to play those people. So yeah, there are definitely advantages. I think the point I'm trying to get to here is that there comes a point in this management of expectations that the developer is in no way able to control like none whatsoever. Like if you go down that road of I'm playing magic so that I can do a stamp with my friends and trade cards and we can have funny stories at dinner about how i beat you in this game. Like I can't design for that really. I mean, there's some stuff you can do, but for the most part, It's a perception of my game that is entirely uncontrolled. It's like the entire absence of authorial intent. There's nothing that I'm doing to cultivate that. That's entirely your way of playing this game. And from the perspective of a dev, does it get to the point in this discussion where you just simply can't manage every expectation?
1: Well, I really think it's impossible to please everybody, as I think where we're getting. And but it is... Your goal... It
0: is possible to anger everybody. I just want that on the record. <laughs>
1: yes, but it is... Yes. It is definitely possible to do that.
0: Kind of, no. Because if you think about it, Fallout 76 came damn close to angering everybody and... like, I mean, we didn't... We don't... Yeah. We he didn't, didn't play it didn't, on release.
2: My, my friend... Uh, well, bleep that. My friend did like it, but he also didn't play it on release and he also played it well after the window where it, it would have made its money and... I mean, the, the truth is, is that, like, for all intents and purposes, he doesn't count, right? He's not out there, he's not somebody who's a, an influencer or a tastemaker, he's not even really part of a video game community in any sincere capacity that I'm aware of. It It effectively, like, the games that, like, quote-unquote anger everybody means, like, the vast tide of... Streamers, YouTubers, vloggers, all the people out there tweeting are going, no, no we're not doing you,
1: this. I think what, to bring back in what Mazio... I think when we're talking about angering everyone, we really mean all the people that are going to make your game financially successful. EA, all of the whales <laughs> of the gaming community. Yeah. Great. Mazio's one friend liked it. Great. Wiggles liked it. But... Those people aren't streaming the game for hours on end. They're not investing thousands into the game to keep it afloat. Unfortunately, the people who did like it aren't going to give you your financial return. They're not going to keep the game alive and going unless you make major changes to the game, which is what 76 ended up doing. And even then, it's still on a rough patch.
2: Well, and I I think, too... 70, I would actually say 76 falls in the category of, like, a cult classic. It not financially successful at launch. It garners a small audience later. It kind of gets rehabbed and then it makes culture around itself. And, yeah, the devs play into that because the devs are part of the culture around it. But that is really the nature of that thing. And I think that the audiences are broad enough and there are enough people to do this. That's it. Jake does have a point in what he was saying. I don't want I don't want that to feel like it just got stampeded.
0: No, I, I mean, yeah, I think it is. I was coming at it from a theoretical perspective of as long as you make it like as long as you're not making literally the worst game in the world. And even sometimes if you are, there is. I mean, sexy hiking was really bad. And then, you know, Foddy came in and fixed that for him. So fair enough. Um, But, like, even, like, the joke games. Like, there's a game on Steam called uh, Walking Simulator, which is just a massive critique of walking simulators. And I I absolutely enjoy it. I think it's hilarious. And that's an objectively poorly designed game, but that's part of the humor behind it. But, yeah, I think if you make something, right, it's always going to appeal to someone. And the thing that we're circling around is that you have to align what you're actually producing... And who it's being targeted for from a marketing perspective. Which is basically to say, do not let a dev do your marketing. Please hire a marketing team.
1: But even when you hire a marketing team, there's times where producers will step in and they'll be like, we have a lot of people who have played Fallout 4. We don't want to lose any of them. Make sure you drag them on. Which hurts the game. Because you're not giving them a Fallout yeah. four
0: I think that gets into the the debate between did was some of that false marketing done with the intent of having release day sales mm-hmm. at the cost of the quality of the game and that's that's an unsolvable issue because that's just a, a fundamental breakdown of the leadership structure that' developed it also that game. In the biases of the development process
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and the business side of like how are we recouping losses? At the cost of and our brand. You actually,
2: I mean, that actually transcends just video games too,
0: where there's lots and lots of
2: instances of like, when you go out on sub with a novel, well, what, what, what are you targeting? Is it YA? Is it adult litfic? Is it, is it, you know, is it science fiction? Like, what, what are you targeting? What audience, what audience are you trying to garner? And I, I think the problem is um, to to jump back to Amanda's original point about trailers is that like, video games want to start garnering an audience before they have a game. Yeah. We're working out garnering our audience, which is bizarre because if you really think about it, right, you you know, look at like Pax East for for a good example because that's still fresh in my head because that's literally the last public thing that happened in my life. Uh by the yep. way, for anybody who wanted to True. know, it is the 20th of June. Um and Pax East took place on February like 27th.
1: Oh shit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh? Huh? I named the birds outside my window, okay? That's the level of quarantine we're at here. That. Yikes. If you. If you waited until you knew what you were marketing, you would spend the same amount of money on the same booth at PAX East, only the effectiveness would be a lot higher.
1: You're right. But I. I'm going to trash talk the gaming community here even though I too am part of the gaming
2: community. <laughs> All right, let's th- let's throw some shade. Let's, let's some do it here. <laughs> I'm
0: so Um
1: excited. if a studio is quiet for too long, then
2: they make Borderlands, <laughs> people get
1: mad. People get really mad. Like the gaming community has been so spoiled by games releasing almost on a yearly basis that If a studio hasn't done anything, they're like, hey, is that studio still alive? What are they doing? Does it matter? Do I care? What is it? They missed E3. They're not doing anything at E3. All right, whatever. And then it falls off the radar. And you will lose some players for that. But I think in some cases, it has worked out really well when they waited to show uh, what exactly they were working on or more polished into the game. But they really relied on their loyal fans who waited eight to ten years.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm gonna bring it. in a weird example here. Oh, um, boy, really off topic. Porter oh, wow. Robinson. Porter Robinson. Yeah, Google that. Porter Robinson's a uh, EDM artist and sort of transcended the genre a bit. Absolutely m- one of my favorite musicians of all time. But the thing is, he released Worlds and I think it was 2013. Which was his debut album, and he had a couple singles before that that were really good, but then he went absolutely quiet for you know basically like, what seven years if that date was correct. So it didn't didn't really release anything. Came out with uh, the song Shelter, which was sort of a return to form and like a collaboration with another artist. But his entire fan base over the period of time should have disappeared if you go quiet for that long and do nothing. And then there was, there was a, a mix under a different name called virtual self. That was very much a departure from the genre at all. So not only did he take this massive break, but he released music that was very contrary to the previous album that definitely put off a lot of people. I, at least from what I experienced, just reading through forums and comments. And then he comes back this year with really good music, absolutely incredible music. And the fan base has just had a massive resurgence. He's doing, like, online festivals and all this crazy stuff and garnering a ridiculous audience. But he put the quality before the business end. And I think it's a perfect example of that working out fantastically when it should not have. Like, if you explained that timeline to, like, a marketing person or a music executive, I imagine that their head would spin. Like, wait, you're going to take seven years before we get another album? You're done. It, no one's going to listen to you. Yeah. But it, it absolutely worked. I, I mean, you have to contend with reality too, right? That's not the optimal way to go about it. Like a studio should be putting out games probably every three-ish years and an artist should be putting out yearly albums. But that's all done with the profit motive in mind and not necessarily the quality motive. And you're, you're getting to a situation where one runs over the other no matter which way you go. So I'm going to ask this
2: question. Yeah, so is the consensus opinion then amongst ourselves that the problem is that you have to market something, right, unless you can produce nothing but amazing Grand Slam hits. But you shouldn't be releasing things relative to the game. You should be doing, like, anybody remember Adult Swim's marketing department from, like, (laughs) the 2000s? Or, like, even now, right? Like, you watch, like, an Adult Swim show now on Hulu, and, like, the ad for Adult Swim is watch our streams, and it's just like single frame shots of a stream in nature, just, it's just a stream, and they like, watch our streams, ha ha ha, but like, they got in trouble uh, when the Aqua Teen movie came out, I think.
1: Aqua Teen Hunger Force, whatever.
2: The movie came out, yeah. yeah. Because Because um, they guerrilla marketed basically light brights in major cities with characters from Aqua Teen on it, and people thought they were bombs. Oh. Well, this is the wake this is in the wake of 9-11. Oh so, so in in what has gotta be one of the most insane moves ever, they gave a press conference on it and opened the press conference with hello, thank you for coming. We will now answer any questions dealing with 1970s haircut styles, but only questions dealing with 1970s haircut styles. <laughs> and, and I feel like Bethesda would like do well to follow suit with their like. Yeah, here's some artwork that clearly makes it a Fallout game. Now, if you want to ask me any questions about Miramax films between 1994 (laughs) and 2001, I'll be happy to answer them. Uh, We will answer no video game questions at this time.
1: Along that same vein, I actually think that trailers that are just really, really brief... That don't give you any hint at gameplay. And maybe it can just be like, look. Look at this pretty render we did. And then you flash the name at it at the end. Gives you just as much hype. Like, and I, that's what Bethesda recently did with, like, the Elder Scrolls one, right? The one that they're releasing. was just a beautiful flyover of all of the land and some music in the background. And at the very end they were like, Elder Scrolls 6. And everyone lost their absolute shit. And...
0: EA and recently speculating, and and speculating, but like, it's Daggerfall.
1: EA at the, um, I don't know if it was at their E. I, it's their not going to be Daggerfall.
2: Daggerfall is way, too, no, it's way too big. You'll never be able to do it. Continue, Amanda. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Clearly it's going to be Hammerfell. But okay, continue.
1: EA had their, like, EA play, whatever it was, online recently. Maybe not recently. I don't know. Times a blur. <laughs> Quarantine. <laughs> Where all they did was show this pretty render and included Dragon Age. And like their video title. And everyone has already lost their shit. Everyone's just like. Alright waiting for Dragon Age 4. Dragon Age 4 when did Inquisition come out? 2014 it's been 6 years. 6 years Bioware. 6 years. But then everybody's like hype is reignited. And everyone's like alright I'm ready. I'm ready for Dragon Age 4. Let's go. Chop chop. Um, but like you, they didn't actually show any gameplay. They just showed, hey, look, it's pretty. Hey, look, this is somewhere on our development cycle. Like, you still you still accomplished, you still reignited your fan base, but you didn't horribly butcher expectations. You still have to contend with them imagining what the game will be like. And you can clear that up later when you have a more solid gameplay trailer after you've ironed out things. But you didn't put something into their head that you're 100% not going to include in the game. Or make it dev'd out
0: there i would like to pose the question of who's done it right who do we think has the best expectation setting marketing campaign to the release of a major triple a game i have an answer but i'll wait (laughs) i kind of want to hear you guys i mean amanda's point seems pretty sound well which one
1: like games that do really pretty things and then get me real hyped for dragon age oh god
0: well because those ones those ones aren't out yet but like of of like a release game i'll i'll go with mine i think the last of us part two did it right Aside from the leaks, which I'm not going to talk about, and I hate you if you judge a game based on the script, personally, we have a, we have a feud now, me and you, that person. <laughs> Shake's enemies list
2: just got so much longer, like three, four people got That's added fine. to it.
0: I think they did it absolutely right. Aside from the delays and stuff, because I guess there's nothing you can really do about COVID if that was really the reason. But yeah, like we, we got, we knew it was coming for a really long time. I think they might have announced that a little early, though. But we knew it was coming for a very long time. We got a cinematic trailer. Eventually we got, did we get a gameplay trailer? I think we did, but it was super late. But there was never too much information out. Like opening up the game, I felt like I knew what I was going into because I had played the first one and the trailers had set the expectation of what it was going to look like and we saw the faces of all the characters, etc. But I didn't know at all where the story was going to go and it was completely surprising and I was totally ready to play it. I don't know. I think that they handled it really well. That's at least my example of like a full-on AAA a game that has handled marketing pretty decent. Do we have any others?
1: I honestly am going to stay with the Dragon Age series, except I'm going to talk about Inquisition, which I think the first one they released was a bunch of people walking forward. No, wait, maybe they released a cinematic one. I can't remember what they released first, but there was cinematic trailers. That didn't give away what the game was. Until they brought back like a prominent figure. From one of the previous games. <sighs> so much hype. But it was a bunch of pretty scenery. There was a battle going on. There was a voiceover. They gave you kind of a feel. For the world. This game would be in. And then they showed the character at the end. And everyone immediately knew what game it was. Because that figure was so. I don't want to say loved. But it was such a prominent figure. And, like, one of the best games they did. But they didn't show any hard gameplay. It was all cinematic. They had quick, short trailers that were just, like, a bunch of people walking forward with you, the Inquisitor, at the front. And they said, like, they'll all band together to face one threat and you'll lead them. Like, really small, simple lines that give you a general idea of, like, alright, just like the past games, I'm gonna have a party together and I'm gonna lead them. And they kept showing off, also, one big thing. Which was, like, this giant crack in the sky and a burst of green. And that was a key thing in all the trailers. So when I made it in at the end. And was like the key point of the entire game. Like this crack in the sky is the story focal point. This is what's happening in the world. You were like I get it. I understood. I've seen it in every trailer. And I know it's important and it's there. Instead of focusing on the nitty gritty stuff. Of like this is how you do combat this is all the skill points you'll have and look at this intricate skill tree instead they were like look it's all pretty it's real hype there's a giant war happening there's a bad thing in the sky you get your party members look at all the party members aren't they great they have great dialogue and you were like yep good i'm hyped i'm sold dragon age let's go
0: Hmm. (laughs) so maybe maybe the reason that those really low information marketing campaigns work is because it doesn't Run into the problem of translating between mass like two different huge communities or three if you count the business side of the game development because you have the devs and dev speak being the marketing speak is not good that's what happened to No Man's Sky and then you have the players who have an entirely different set of expectations of what a game is or how a game is made which is generally very disconnected from reality and then you have the business end of the game that's like all right how are we recouping losses what's our marketing budget etc yada 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 taking all of that information out and not giving too much away kind of has the the side effect of solving that problem of we don't need to translate between these communities. It also manages the audience perceived knowledge well enough that it doesn't matter.
1: It also, what at least the Dragon Age one did is that all it truly did was say the features you liked in the previous games where you had a party together There was dialogue where you could talk to them and they all had great personalities. And there was some imminent threat to the world is going to be in this game. But look how pretty it looks now. And look at all these new characters you get to build. And all they really did was play off of what you loved of the previous ones. And then they kind of saved all the new stuff they added in until farther on when they did like walkthroughs at a big convention or... When they actually did, like, they leaked it. They didn't leak it, but they gave it to, like, streamers or reviewers. And then they let the reviewers handle exposing the gameplay to you. But instead, they were just like, look, all the things you loved about the past game, they'll be there. And it's real pretty. And that was enough to get people to be, like, done buying it.
2: Works for me. Works. (laughs)
1: Like, they they didn't promise something new was going to be in there and then fail to give it. Instead, they just confirmed that what you loved was going to still be there. So I think we've come to the conclusion that, we've come to the conclusion on a few things, is that defining your audience is vital, but even when you define your audience, there's going to be their imagination at play that you can't account for, and that is more based on marketing and the trailers you've shown them, and you can't account for everything that the player will think of. And honestly, your best bet may be to hold off, go silent for a bit, and then show minimal information trailers just to reignite that hype later on when you have a more solid gameplay or you're you're farther along in your development cycle so that you're not going to promise something that's going to get devd out.
2: Yeah. And you yeah, you've got to manage those expectations, or you're gonna end up in the weeds.
1: Yes, and I think that's what happened with all the games we have brought today, Uh, which is a little bit different than Deliver Us the Moon, who literally defined itself as the wrong genre.
2: What I think we covered that early on, right? Like that it's like, yep, don't do that. If you want to know all about that, there's a whole other episode on us destroying one of Jake's favorite games. Don't (laughs) remind me.
1: The next episode that we are doing is going to be uh, knowledge versus ambition. Right? Um, And I think that's when we have a a guest coming on. We do. Right, Jake? We do.
0: Um, We have a personal friend of mine, and sort of... I'm not sure what he wants to call himself title-wise, but I'm going to call him a prop artist, Uh, is my friend Mario. He will be on, and he'll talk all about projects that he works on and his very interesting background of how he got to the position he's in now, which is super different from all of ours.
1: The important part is that... uh, he taught himself all of his prop artist stuff right
0: yeah yeah he's entirely self-taught and um he'll jump into like how he sort of found this niche of what he works on now i think it'll be interesting to see the contrast between all of us who have a lot of formal training Mm -hmm. him who kind of has you know not yet still does this sort of same philosophical thing that we all Mm -hmm. just make stuff
1: oh yeah we're going to talk heavily about the creative stuff not so much games Next podcast, but more creativity and the thought process behind it and designing, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. that was the plan. a plan.
1: Awesome sauce. Any closing words on this podcast? Besides, we apologize to our editor Kevin for having to edit it.
0: Um, I would like to formally apologize to the people at Bethesda HQ that read my letter <laughs> when I was like twelve years old, probably saying why you make bad elder scroll game make good elder scroll game i want lydia to be my friend (laughs) so sorry but also i stand by everything i said and make me a multiplayer's elder scroll game already
2: i uh, i just want kevin to know i finished my pop tart
1: oh good we've come full circle we're back to talking about (laughs) pop tarts on a not pop tart
2: related podcast i don't know i feel like pop tarts have always managed my expectations well they're a damp cardboard with a vaguely salt sugary filling
0: i mean i've been muting my discord mic the entire time and eating flaming hot cheetos into the microphone you didn't
2: learn your lesson at all did you oh my god all right
1: all right we're done
2: jake's going to (laughs)
1: self-implode at the end of this podcast. It's best if we cut it off now. It's definitely going to be an
2: explosion.
0: Like, there's no implosion here. Okay. I imagined, like, an alien acid thing. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now. All right.
1: Well, thanks for listening, ducklings. Uh, (laughs) For joining joining in on this podcast. (laughs) It's (laughs) beginning! Thanks for joining in on this podcast. Uh, I hate you, Jake, (laughs) so much. (laughs)